Good morning, family. Welcome uh, to this 10.30 hour of worship at both venues. Uh, today I want to talk about rest. Rest. Uh, but sometimes you, you, some of you may be wondering, you know, our sermon series, isn't it on serving, our church team on serving this year at Disciples' Heart? So why do you want to talk about this idea of rest? It may sound a bit contradictory, but hopefully, prayerfully, by the end of this sermon, you will see how important rest is and how rest relates to service. Of course, we know that very common understanding, if you want to rest, uh, rest will bring you the longer journey. There's a Chinese saying goes, right? But more than that, there's a lot more to that, and we want to explore the idea today. At the same time, I'm also aware that today we want to have a healing service. I'm glad to see the hall here packed. I'm not sure what the situation is like at the uh, century. Uh, so I pray that uh, truly we also receive God's rest that will bring that healing for our souls and our bodies. So with that, that's our agenda. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your great love for us, that we are your beloved children, that you are our good, good Father. So good Father, we ask that you send your Holy Spirit, both here and at the sanctuary. Move mightily in our midst, Lord so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ will be lifted up high and glorified. We commit this time into your loving hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now first of all, I want to show you two pictures. We go to my sermon slides. Now which of these two pictures describes your current situation in life? Both of them have the same circumstances, probably a storm or impending storm. But different results, the anchor is firm and stable and strong, while the tree is bending under the weight of the wind or the storm. So these two pictures, which of these describes your current situation in life? Despite the same circumstances of a storm or impending storm, you are firm and secure, you are rested in the Lord, or are you bending under the weight of the circumstances in your lives? In which of these areas in your lives, if you are in a storm right now, do you feel that you know the pressure. Is it your health, your work or your study, your family, finance, relationships, or even ministry service to the Lord? Can we have the slides up? I didn't realize the pictures were not there. Were the pictures there? It was? All right. So which of these describes your current circumstances in life? If you're in a storm, next slide, which of these areas uh, do you find yourself caught in? <clears throat> Wednesday night, while waiting upon God to speak to us about our healing service, several, several of us receive uh, this message of rest. In particular, at one point in the worship, I found myself singing this phrase, rest on every side, rest on every side, rest on every side. And sometimes this happens, you know, in a time of worship, I get caught up in the Spirit, I begin to pray what God wants to pray. And interestingly, this phrase, rest on every side, can be found in the Bible as well. Joshua chapter 21, verse 44. Let me read it to you. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as He had sworn to their ancestors. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. And in 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 4, after Solomon built the temple of the Lord, he says, But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side, and there is no adversary or disaster. And five times in the books of First and Second Chronicles, we find the same phrase, rest on every side, to describe the peace, the stability that Israel enjoyed as a nation. So Joshua, after he conquers the promised land, of course, there is no enemy, no enemy on any side. There is rest on every side. 
After Solomon builds the temple, again there is rest on every side. Now how many of you want that? Rest on every side. No more enemies, no more adversaries, no more disaster, all victory. Wouldn't we want that, right? Surely we all desire rest on every side. Rest is such an important aspect of life, and yet it is so often taken for granted and even neglected. We hardly think twice about the important place of rest until we start losing our sleep. Many of us tend to place a lot more worth and value on what we do rather than what we do not do. For example, when we meet someone new for the first time, we almost always ask, Hi, what do you do? How many of us in our first encounter with people will say, Hi, how's your rest last night? Right? Rarely. We emphasize on people's work. We see value in work. And that's not necessarily wrong, but we need to have a balance. Rest is as important. Just to give another example, if you see someone resting, what is the first thought that comes to your mind? Wow, this person, why so lazy? Skiving, choking, you know, that kind of mentality. I'm guilty of this as well. And so we see how much of this work mentality, how much value of this, right? how value of work we have placed in our lives. Yet, you know, for the people that we know well, we care deeply and we love deeply, we don't often just ask about their work. We also ask about their rest. Right? We ask them, how was your rest last night for those you care about? Do you sleep well? So rest really is a conversation between people in right relationship. And rest really comes when we are in the right relationship. A lot of our stresses in life come because we are not rested in our relationships with people. There are conflicts and that gives us restlessness, sleepless nights. Even for my children, Val and I, we have our son just started primary one. He has to wake up very early. And so we're not just concerned for him whether he's learning well, but importantly, is he resting well? So we make him go to bed by 8.30pm every night, lights out, so that he can have enough rest for the new day. Unfortunately, many of us have this wrong understanding of who God is. We carry forward our Singapore mentality that work is always good, and we bring forward this mentality into our relationships with God. We think that God merely wants us to work and work and work and work. That's not the right way to understand God. And that's why even in ministry, many of us who serve God get burnt out because we have the wrong understanding of who God is. Now to be clear, I'm not saying that we should not work hard for the Lord. Of course we should to give our lives our best to the Lord because God deserves all that we can do for Him. But I think the really the big problem is that many of us work from the position of slaves rather than from the position as sons and friends of God. We serve God out of duty rather than out of delight. Many of us serve God, but we fail to serve God out of our deep, secure identities as children of God. Remember the eldest son in the parable of the lost son, Luke chapter 15? We did this sermon series some years ago, so I won't cover the first part, but basically you know the story. The younger prodigal son came home after a long while, and the father ran up to him, kissed the son, and held a feast to celebrate the homecoming of his lost son, right? And look at verse 28. We jump to the second half of this parable. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Listen now to what the elder brother says. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you. I chose this version to emphasize that sense of slave. Well, most versions will put working for you. All these years I have been working for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And then listen what, to the, what the father says. The father says, 
my son. The father never saw him in any other position. But my son, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. You could have killed the calf for yourself. You could have taken a goat for yourself. All that I had is yours. But you never saw yourself as a son. You saw yourself as a slave. And that's the problem. This year, our church team, we, like I said, is on service. But we must learn this important truth that we must serve from a position of rest, from our position as beloved children of God. The elder brother in the parable saw himself not as a son, but as a slave. And the father had to remind him, you are my son. And we here are God's children. All who have faith, who profess faith in Christ Jesus, we are all God's children. And there is no higher or lower in our position before the Lord because we are all accepted by faith through the blood and righteousness of Jesus and we are all equal as children of God. There is no upper class and lower class citizen in the family of God. Not those worshipping in the sanctuary are holier than those of us here in the hub. No, we are all equal children of God and that's how we should see ourselves. Now back to my point on being children of God. I remember praying for one of our staff earlier this year during a class meeting session among the staff. And in my vision, I saw this person working hard. And, uh, and then these words came to me. Serve me as my child. Serve me as my child. Presumably, this person uh, has been serving God for many years, faithfully, in fact, faithfully. But what God desired for this person is a change of perspective. Not to stop serving, no, but to serve not as a servant or as a slave but to serve as a child, a beloved child of God. So question number one for us to reflect on today is this. Do you merely see yourself as a servant of God or as a child of God who delights to serve His Heavenly Father? There is great joy when we learn to serve out of our relationship with God. I remember once I brought my son for his piano lessons and while waiting for the lesson to start, my son went to take for me a, a cup of water from the water dispenser. Now his motives weren't 100% pure, he just wanted to play with the water dispenser. He wanted to get some water for himself and then since he wanted to continue, he got some water for me. But as my son brought me the water, there was a parent uh, observing the scene and then the parent exclaimed, Wow, what a wonderful son you have! <laughs> what a filial son! You know, at that moment, even though I knew my son's motives were not 100% pure, yet I felt proud. And my son felt happy. And since then, he has been happily serving me water, you know. <laughs> so the, my point is this. When we learn to serve God as His children, there is great delight in our Heavenly Father's heart. We must learn to serve not as slaves, but as children of God. That's lesson number one. Uh, next slide. We must learn to serve as beloved children of God. And rest comes, first of all, from this right relationship. Secondly, not only must we learn to serve as children of God, we must learn to serve only by the power of the Holy Spirit, not out of sheer human effort, relying on human wisdom, but by the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Now take this glove, for example. Can you see it? Hopefully you can see it. Yes, bright yellow suitable for the use in this hub, <laughs> right? Bright yellow. Now this glove, I bought it with a purpose. When I bought it, it says uh, for a bath glove for you to scrub yourself, exfoliation, something like that. Huh? But every glove is designed for a purpose. Now what would make this glove come alive to serve its purpose? 
what will make it come alive? Imagine we are this glove that God has designed us for a specific purpose in our lives, or each of us with a unique purpose. What will cause this glove to come alive? Would it be just simply attending Bible study? Would it come alive? Of course, the Bible is important. We need to know the Bible is the foundation. But that's not enough. It will not cause it to come alive. There is the Spirit of God that breathes life into the Bible that causes us to understand that brings the Bible alive, right? So going to Bible study alone will not cause this glove to come alive. Joining discipleship classes, putting more gloves together, all of you attend class meeting and discipleship and cell group together will not cause this glove to come alive. There is only one way that this glove can come alive and fulfill its God's ordained purpose. And that is when it is filled by the hands that made it. Only when the Spirit of God fills us will we fully come alive. When Adam was created, what does the Bible say? God breathed His Spirit into him and he became alive. Friends, we cannot serve out of our own human strength. And going to more Bible study and church meetings will not grant us that strength. We all need the power and the person of the Holy Spirit to come alive. This is not a sermon on the Trinity, on the Holy Spirit per se, but I, so I won't elaborate too much. But essentially, we need to understand that the person of the Holy Spirit is a person. He is not a force like Star Wars. Boom, you know, No, he's not. He's a person with thoughts, with emotions, and that's why the Bible says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. It is possible to grieve the Holy Spirit when we keep sinning because the Holy Spirit is a person with thoughts and emotions. We cannot see Him, but He is a person nonetheless. He just does not have the physical body that we have, but He is every part a person like us. So how does a person filled by the Holy Spirit look like? Some of you may be concerned, you know, what does it mean to be filled by the Holy Spirit? Will we become possessed, you know? You've seen some movies, horror movies. You think that being possessed by the Holy Spirit will cause you to lose your personalities. I want to say to you, that's a wrong understanding. That's not what it means to be possessed or filled by the Holy Spirit. When we are filled by the Holy Spirit, again, look at this glove. You actually become a better version of yourselves when you become filled by the Holy Spirit. By itself, this glove is lumbed, weak, unable to fulfill its purpose. But when we are filled by the Holy Spirit, we do not lose our personalities, our giftings, and all that we have gone through in life. No. Instead, when we are filled by the Holy Spirit, we become a fuller version of ourselves, an even better version of ourselves. And this is essentially what the Greek word dunamis means, the power or the ability to do. The Greek word dunamis is translated, for example, uh, in Acts, you know, we will receive power from on high. And some preachers talk about uh, this dynamic power, explosive power of the Holy Spirit when it comes upon us. Yes, that may happen. But they forget that the word, or the word English word dynamite was only invented in the 18th century when dynamite, the explosive power, was uh, invented. But the Greek word dunamis was actually used 2,000 years ago. So dunamis doesn't mean explosive power, even though that can happen with the Holy Spirit, but really means the ability to do. Ability to do. What sin does is that sin disables us, removes from us our ability to do, so that the right thing that we ought to do, we do not do, and the wrong thing that we shouldn't do, that we keep doing, right? And so what the Holy Spirit does when He fills us is that we begin to do what we are called to do in the first place. We know we should not lie, and so we stop lying because now we have the Holy Spirit in us. We are giving the power, the ability 
to say no to sin and to say yes to God into a godly life. That is what the Holy Spirit does when He fills us, the ability to do what we are called and formed to do in the first place. And here's the best part, you know, when you are filled by the Holy Spirit, not only are you enabled to serve, in the process of serving, you bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All the fruit of the Spirit. And so there is not just a restful kind of service, it is a fruitful kind of service. That's how wonderful it is to be filled by the Spirit. Even though we serve God constantly, there is outflow and giving out. And yet at the same time, because we are constantly filled by the Holy Spirit, there is an input by the Holy Spirit. There is a rich reservoir in each of us. So while we keep serving, we are never tired. We run and not grow weary. We walk and not faint. So question number two, are you serving by the power of the Holy Spirit? In the first place, if you are not serving, you need to recognize that you need to serve your Heavenly Father. Secondly, then are you serving by the power of the Holy Spirit? And probably some of you are thinking by now, okay, I want to serve by the power of the Holy Spirit, but how? How? I just want to use these verses here in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 20 to illustrate how we can be filled by the Spirit. First of all, it says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Some people drink a glass of red wine every day, you know, for health reasons. And that's okay. But some people need to drink in order to fall asleep. And that's not good. You become dependent on a substance. You become addicted to a substance. Some people binge drink when they get upset and stuff like that. That's not a good habit to form as well. Running away from the problems will not solve the problems. And some people, because of work, entertainment purposes, have to drink a lot of no choice of your own, but because of your work demands. But here the Bible says we actually have to make a choice. Whether you initiated the drinking session or not, you have to make a choice. It's okay to drink a little for health reasons, but clearly the Bible teaches us do not get drunk on wine and alcoholic beverages. So first of all, to be filled by the Holy Spirit, we must make a choice to turn away deliberately from this excess of life, excessive drinking. And not just excessive drinking, but extension, all the excesses in life. Korean drama, Netflix, young generation here. How in the world can we be filled by the Holy Spirit if we are filling our lives with the things of the world? Right? So first lesson, we must make a choice deliberately, whether it's alcohol or whatever else, excesses of life, we must say no to these things increasingly in order to be filled by the Holy Spirit. Not that you cannot watch them ever in your life, but if you are watching half an hour a day versus five hours a day, that's a world difference. One glass of wine, it's okay. But if five bottles, something is wrong. Right, so you understand, it's not you cannot do all these things, but you need to re- recognize there is a limit, and you need to draw that line yourselves. Secondly, we come back to this verse in the Greek. The second half of this verse actually should be translated as being continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. Continuously, it is not just a once-off affair, but really a daily prayer. We must pray daily, continuously, in fact not just daily, as much as you can to be filled by the Holy Spirit. You may not feel the Holy Spirit coming upon you. You may or may not. Yes, sometimes it comes in power, but sometimes it doesn't. But just pray anyway. And then the verses go on. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19 to 20. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. 
always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We must learn to cultivate a spiritual atmosphere where the Holy Spirit delights to dwell in. And how? That's worship. When we come together, where two or three are gathered, we sing to each other spiritual songs. We worship. When we are alone, we make music to the heart, uh, into the Lord in our hearts. So whether we are alone or with fellow believers, we worship. We cultivate a spiritual atmosphere of worship as often as we can. And finally, the verse says, we must learn to cultivate an attitude of constant thanksgiving. Always giving thanks to God the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. So to summarize, these are the four things we should do in order to be more and more filled by the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is a wonderful world to dwell in. There is not, there's no limit. There's no end to the capacity. The Spirit is not bound by you know, capacity like physical items, like a bottle has 500 ml capacity and stuff like that. In the spiritual world, there is no limit. You can have more and more and more of the Holy Spirit and you never ever get full. So this is why we can keep praying for the holy feeling of the Holy Spirit. Number one, turn away from the excesses of life. Number two, pray daily to be filled by the Spirit. Number three, worship often by yourself and with others. Number four, give thanks to God often. Now let me close by turning to one last Bible passage. Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 to 30. Let me read it to us. At the time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have revealed, hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Look, the relationship between the Father and the Son. He says, I praise you, Father. Remember Thanksgiving? Even Jesus practices Thanksgiving often. I praise you, Father. You have hidden this from the wise and revealed them to little children. That's like us. And continues, he, say, he continues by saying, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. There is a relationship. Rest comes from right relationships. The Father knows the Son. The Son knows the Father. And Jesus is that beloved Son of God. He knows that very well. And because He's rested in God, He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The picture that you see is a picture of a yoke. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. This analogy of a yoke is often lost on us modern people. But essentially in the past, farmers would take a pair of oxen to plow the field. And the wise farmer would actually pair up a young ox with a seasoned, strong, mature ox. Why? Why would the farmer do that? Because the seasoned ox would go at a pace that is neither too fast or too slow. If the oxen go too fast, they get burned out. As many of us do in ministry, we don't run with the Lord. We run ahead of the Lord. We see that there are things to do. We are so workaholic. Oh, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do 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 and then we get burned out because we don't run at the pace of Jesus. But neither do the ox go too slow that the work is not accomplished. But the strong, seasoned and mature ox will go at just the right pace. And the young ox will learn from the mature ox. The mature and seasoned and strong ox will carry the weight of the yoke. Most of it. Most of it. And that is why Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you. 
But there is a choice to be made here. You have to be yoked. And you have to be chained to some extent. It's not complete freedom. But Jesus says, when you take my yoke upon you, we recognize that my yoke is easy and my burden is light and you will find rest for your souls. So those of us who feel the heavy burden of ministry, it may mean that we are either serving on our own strength at our, wrong, at our own pace, not doing the right assignment or doing too many assignments. We must all learn to be yoked to Jesus and follow His pace. So that's lesson number three. We must learn to serve at Jesus' pace. Take His yoke upon us. So to summarize the three lessons on service today and how it really relates to a kind of rested service, restful service, when we learn to serve like Jesus at His speed, at His pace, constantly filled by the Holy Spirit as a beloved child, a son of God, there is rest for our souls. I hope you appreciate the uh, triple S there. (laughs) At His speed, by the Spirit of God and as beloved sons and daughters, of course, of God. That's how we find rest for our souls, even as we keep serving the Lord. Remember, rest is so very important. Doctors and psychologists and counsellors know that you know, restlessness really is the cause of many of our ailments. For example, when we are feeling stressed, we often get what? Tension, headaches, <laughs> back aches, Right? And the health professionals, mental health professionals call this psychosomatic stress. When we feel the stress inside, somehow it expresses itself, manifests itself as bodily aches and pains. Psychosomatic. The stress within translates to stress on our physical bodies. And if that's you, bending under the weight of the storm, Jesus wants to give us rest. He wants to give us rest. Not just healing our physical ailments. I believe God wants to do that today. I heard a testimony this morning how a lady went to the gym, you know, uh, accidentally used the kind of weights wrongly and then got injured. But as she received prayer, she was healed. And then the following week, it was not a fresh testimony from today, but the following week, she went back to the gym, forgotten that she had actually injured herself. But that's how God had really healed her. She forgot that she was injured before. You know, God does heal us of our physical ailments, and I believe He wants to do it for us again today. But I also believe God wants to heal us emotionally, spiritually, in our souls, to give rest for our souls. In particular, I believe God wants to pray for those of us who face uh, sleepless nights. Last year, when we organized a training for uh, breathing prayer altars, in one of the sessions, a prophetic word was released. God wanted to heal those with insomnia and uh, after that prayer, that night after the word was released, I received a testimony. A person slept so well for the first time in years. God, I healed the person of insomnia. Praise the Lord. Let's give the Lord a clap offering. We need to celebrate and give thanks to God. That's how to be filled by the Holy Spirit. right? And God grants sleep to those He loves. We need to claim this promise of Scripture. That God grants sleep to those He loves. And so that's the first group of people I think God wants to really heal today. Those of you who face sleepless nights, may God grant you that love and sleep. Now to say that God grants sleep to those He loves, I want to say very clearly here, if you don't sleep well, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. 
Okay, A equals to B doesn't mean B equals to A. Alright? So God grants sleep to those He loves. Does not mean that if you are not sleeping well, God does not love you. It doesn't work that way. But we want to press forward, trusting in this prophetic word that God wants to heal those of us who face sleepless nights. And we face sleepless nights really for various reasons. Maybe, you know, it's a job situation. It could be loneliness, depression, many whatever the reasons may be. We trust the Lord to heal us from within. And here's another testimony before we close for ministry. Years ago, when I was learning, learning to move in the prophetic, I was praying with a group of close friends. When I was uh, first learning in this area, of course, I'm shy. I didn't want to practice with church members and stuff like that, right? So I practiced with my group of close friends first, people that I grew up with from church. And in my prayer for my friend, I saw an image, you know, of a soft, white, fluffy pillow. It was really comfortable. In my, even in my vision, I felt like falling asleep. It was so shook. So I decided to share that vision with my friend. Now, my friend at the time was working 12 to 14 hours a day. He's kind of a workaholic also, like his personality, but his boss was not, not making things easy for him. And so he was working really hard, and by the time he was physically drained and also very cynical. I mean, that's what work does to you. It drains you of life, and when you're tired, you get angry and cynical, right? And so when I told him about that vision, about that white, soft, fluffy pillow, he laughed. He was cynical. He said, how can it be? How can it be that I'll get rest? But God is good. God's word will never fail to accomplish His purpose. That night itself, my friend slept for 12 hours straight, like a baby. <laughs> he hasn't done that for a long time. And the most amazing part is, the following week when he got back to work, his boss told him this, from now on, you can work from home. And he worked from home for five years. Can you believe it? Just perfect for him to bring out his three children. So when God gives a word, when God grants sleep to those he loves, he will really grant sleep to those he loves. Let's praise God again.